Hi there, and welcome to the Android Bytes podcast, powered by Esper. I'm David Ruddick, and every week with my co-host Michelle Rahman, we're diving deep on the topics, trends, and news shaping the Android industry. We're also joined each week by influential members of the Android space, from developers to journalists to the people behind the companies building products that rely on Android to achieve success. We hope you enjoy the show, and if you have any feedback, please reach out to us at editors at esper.io or shoot any of us a DM on Twitter. Just, you know, a little housekeeping note. This is technically episode one of Android Bytes, now that it has a name. So uh, thank you for joining us on our inaugural episode, even though it's like our 12th one. Um, Michelle, you want to go ahead and do intros? Yeah, sure. Thanks, David. I'm Michelle Ramon. I'm the senior technical editor at Esper. And I'm joined by David Ruddick, who's the editor-in-chief at Esper. And for today's um, topic, we'll be talking about Android TV, Google TV, and... Um, anything related to Android on TVs. And because of that, I invited two speakers to join us. Um, Janko um, Reuters, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, from Protocol, and Nolan Johnson, who is a device maintainer on the Lineage OS project. Um, if you could both introduce yourselves briefly, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, or thanks for having us. You actually got my name really uh, it sounded really good. Most people butchered way worse. So, um, yeah, Jan Koretka is my name. Again, a writer for Protocol. I've been covering this space for a long time. I've been paying close attention to uh, streaming devices. And as part of that, uh, Google TV, Chromecast, Android TV, and now Google TV again. I, I sort of followed the whole journey that Google has been doing there in that space. Yeah, and uh, my name is Nolan Johnson. I'm a cybersecurity professional by day and uh, by night Lineage OS device maintainer. And I um, am one of the two or three guys that does uh, open source work on uh, Lineage OS for Android TV itself. So I'm very familiar with building it from source or, you know, as we'll get into later, what you can and can't. So. Thank you for that both. Um, and the reason, you know, this is, feels so so topical, obviously, um, there are some changes coming down um, with, uh, with Google TV and Android TV and perhaps Google's larger strategy around the product. But um, Michelle, I think we wanted to start it, I guess, with a, with a bit of Google and TV history, because this is a really pretty long, complex weaving tale, even for a Google product. Yeah, in terms of Google products, um... Android TV slash Google TV has a very um, confusing history. If you look at you know the naming scheme, um, it started out in late 2010 as Google TV, which is not the same thing as the Google TV you see today. It was actually another Android-based TV operating system. Um, it launched with devices like Logitech Review, and um, it, to say the least, failed spectacularly. It just did not get picked up by consumers. Many streaming services were not too happy with it, blocking access to their videos. The um, input methods that you had to use to control the interface were terrible. I mean, who wants to use a keyboard and a trackpad to control the TV, really? And when it originally launched, it didn't even have an app store with it until the big 2.0 update, which came much later after the initial launch. Um, but, like, it was... Some of the some of the things that caused Google TV to fail back then are still being seen today with um, Google TV's fight over getting content providers to integrate their services with them. Um, but despite that fact that Google TV didn't really pick up uh, back in 2010 through 2014 when it was discontinued, 
it was clear that the integration between the internet and streaming and TV streaming would be, you know, the future of media consumption. Um, do you have any comments to offer on that, Janko, about uh, Google TV's early days? And what do you think it tells us about the future of TV streaming today? Yeah, I think the problem that Google had fundamentally at that point was that they just didn't understand what people wanted from their TVs or what people wanted from streaming in general. And back in the days, people were barely using Netflix. People were starting to subscribe to Netflix. And then there was YouTube and maybe a handful of other streaming apps, but very few things out there. And instead of concentrating on those few use cases, they basically built a general computing device and shipped it with a full-size keyboard in case of the Logitech device. And people occasionally repost the remote control for the Sony device because it had like 2,000 buttons on it. It was insane. Uh, it was way too complex. It did way too much. And Google thought, well, if you just like add Google search and intelligence to it, it, it will solve everything. But really, they just didn't understand what, what the, was needed for the space and eventually scrapped it and started from scratch and it built Chromecast, which was the exact opposite, right? It was a blank canvas, essentially, and then sort of rebuilt it from there. But yeah, at the time, they just didn't know what to do with TVs. So after Google TV, you know, kind of crashed and burned, as you mentioned, Google came up with Chromecast. And eventually, you see with the, the Chromecast itself has become an Android TV-based platform. So um, I'm curious to hear from you. What do you think about that transition? Why do you think Google went from the phone-based casting system um, without a remote to the new Android TV slash Google TV system that we have today with the Chromecast with Google TV? I think Chromecast was a great device and was a great start or a great do-over in that space, but it still lacked a couple of things when it comes to sort of building a device for the mass market. And that was, it, it didn't really lend itself to being a communal device. You know, when you sit in front of the TV and you watch it with multiple people, you really want to have an easy way to figure out together what you want to watch on a Saturday night. And that's harder to do when one person just has their, the phone in their hand and makes all the decisions. So that was sort of a stumbling block. And then also it just like other devices like Roku were just easier for consumers who weren't as technical and also didn't require people to have a smartphone even, didn't people to have a certain smartphone, didn't people to have apps that supported casting. Um, so having a UI on the TV made sense in some fashion. And with Android TV, they sort of brought that together because you can still cast obviously to an Android TV or to a Google TV device, but you also have a user interface that you can just turn on. And if your phone is dead or if if you don't even have a phone in case of kids, you can still use the device. So it made a lot of sense to sort of add that on top of it as well. Yeah. And I think that that's, you're, you're exactly right, Jocko, because Google with the Google TV initially, um, the first Google TV, they were actually way ahead of the game. They understood a lot of what was coming, but the ecosystem wasn't ready at all. And the content providers were so terrified of streaming still at that stage. They saw it as an opportunity, but they really wanted to control it, as they still do. But they're more flexible now. And I think the other side was that the computing hardware was still a little too expensive. Um, the TVs, you know, didn't have these built-in services. And so Google is kind of, they zigzagged. They went the exact opposite direction with Chromecast, which was to give something with 
build something with no front-end experience, offload everything to the phone, turn TV into an IoT experience, and now they've come back the other way. Now we have embedded TV, which is really where the market has converged. So these uh, these embedded experiences, and that's where Google has seen the most success with the platform, which I think kind of leads into you know where where it's come today, become to what it is today, um, which is more of an operator-driven platform than it is necessarily a consumer one. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, Android TV in particular has seen a lot of uptake from operators. That also speaks a little bit to how the space in general has evolved because for the longest time, operators, so the people who provide you your TV service, your cable company, didn't even want to offer streaming services. They saw them as competition and they didn't want to deal with that at all. And eventually they realized, well, if we don't offer a Netflix app on our boxes or a YouTube app, people are going to switch to a different input on their TVs and then we lost them forever. Because once you turn on your Roku or once you turned on your Fire TV, you're not going to go back to that Comcast box or to the Cox box or whatever you have. And so they realized they need to have modern uh, systems, modern streaming devices that also offer pay TV to even have a chance in that space anymore. But for most operators, for most of these companies, that's prohibitively expensive to build their own platform and to to venture out and put all the pieces together to get the licenses, to get a certification from Netflix. And so Google stepped in there and said, you can use our system, you can customize it to make it look like it's an operating uh, box that comes from you. Well, we do all the plumbing, we do everything underneath, and we even strike a deal with Netflix to make it easier for you to get access to them as well. And that's why they fit in there so well. Other companies weren't quite as flexible. Roku tried to get in that space and they wanted to have more of a say from what I understand. And Google basically said, you know, do what you want with the UI within certain parameters. We we do everything underneath and it chips with the Play Store and you have access to all the apps. And that was a winning proposition for many operators. Yeah, so Android TV has been around since 2014. Um, but as of... Earlier this year, Google reported that there's over 110 million active Android TV devices. And most of that as includes those uh, Android TV devices that are sold by operators. So clearly, the platform has been a smashing success among them. But then comes the, um, then comes the introduction of Google TV, the new Google TV, not the old Google TV. The new Google TV is just a launcher and a bit of a coat of paint on top of the Android TV platform. But what's interesting is um, how much it differs from the operator-controlled driven interface to now it's content-driven and like uh, the, there's an integration between various different streaming services um, that Google is promoting. So I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what is Google's goal with Google TV? Clearly, the operator-driven approach has um, given them a lot of success with pushing Android on TVs and bringing the app store to millions of households. So what is what is Google's goal with Google TV then? I think they realized where the space is going. That is, people are cutting the cord. People are giving up on their cable. So if you only use operators, eventually that addressable user base is going to decline. Um, they also want to be in retail. They want to make their own devices, as with Chromecast, with Google TV. And and they want to be in smart TVs and compete there with Roku and Amazon and and have a smart TV OS. Uh, and Android TV was available for all those things, but maybe didn't quite address the market as well and didn't kind of build on Google's strengths. And now they're basically putting this content forward experience that looks very similar to to what Amazon has been doing in that space. 
with Google TV on top of all of it um, and saying, we're going to give you recommendations. We, we show your, your titles across different apps, but we're also going to use some of the intelligence that we have just by being Google, just by knowing what people are searching for every day and we're surfacing those titles right on top of the home screen. I think that's, that's a good proposition. It is challenging because companies like Netflix do want to keep you in their app and they do, they are sort of very uh, protective of their own experience. So they want to, they surface some things also on Google TV uh, but other functionality they have so far blocked. So on on the new Google TV devices, you cannot add uh, Netflix shows to your watch list. That's blocked. And with other titles, that's possible. Netflix doesn't quite play ball. So there's still some unresolved issues there. And that's really interesting from from the business side of things because I think as users, it's really hard to distinguish between the products because functionally, they're very similar. It's just Google TV is Android TV with a better recommendation engine and interface essentially. But from a business perspective, they're dramatically different um, because Google is really focusing on how it effectively monetizes that screen. Um, Because with the television, all of that incremental revenue after you sell the product comes from what you put in front of the person watching the TV. So there's, I think, a real crazy kind of territorial battle that's happening between content providers um, to figure out who owns that space, who gets what piece of what, and what kind of, you know, how deep are they willing to go with, you know, how they handle competitiveness, how they handle placement, what decides who goes where. Uh, And I think that is probably why you see Netflix very wary of something like this, because they see themselves potentially agreeing to a situation where a competitor could gain an advantage over them. And to add to that, there's also obviously a bunch of stuff that we don't even learn about happening in the back rooms, whereas what percentages that, that companies have to pay to, to sell subscriptions at the Play Store and all those kinds of things often come head to head and then suddenly a feature stops working on Google TV or on another platform and you don't quite know why, but it often has to do with these very complex business arrangements between the companies. Yeah. And I, I think that that kind of leads into, you know, these platforms, our discussion on, like, the these platforms appear to be diverging. So there will be a Google TV business, and there will, to some extent, still be an Android TV business. And figuring out, like, okay, Google TV obviously has one business model. Android TV's business model appears to be changing and figuring out what Google is going to be doing there. And with this battle as a backdrop and... um these streaming giants, you know, fighting for what content they can recommend and push to your home screen, it's kind of alienated a lot of power users, including myself, from the constant changes that are being made to the Android TV interface, to the um, platform, et cetera. So there has been, there have been some people who have figured out that there are ways to actually remove the Android TV launcher provided by Google, the Google TV launcher as well, and uh, replacing it with third-party alternatives. And there are some users who even go further and replace the entire operating system with an open-source Android AOSP-based system image. So that's why I invited Nolan here today. He's um, one of those community developers who works on open-source system images for Android TV devices. Um, So one question I wanted to ask him is... uh, Android TV, a lot a lot of the components within Android TV are not open source, most notably the launcher. 
um, the cast framework. So if you don't have that, you can't cast media um, to your TV from your phone. Um, apart from those, what are some of the key components of Android TV that aren't available in AOSP? And what alternatives are there? Like, what can you do to work around those limitations? Sure. So uh, you've already kind of hit on the launcher being the biggest item. Uh, we, you know, in AOSP, we have you know, launcher one, two, and three throughout the years that we've gotten. Uh, Android TV has no source for the launcher whatsoever. And, uh, you know, reverse engineering efforts aren't always, you know, the best on that front. There are a few uh, alternative launchers, like you mentioned, that don't even uh, actually access, you know, like a typical phone launcher, some built-in system API. They hijack the home button press, which is, you know, obviously from a user experience point of view, going to result in some glitchy, you know, systems, some dropped frames, et cetera, because you're not using that built-in system API. Um, on the open source side, you know, even looking at available open source, you know, Android TV launchers, you know, from the custom ROM perspective, a lot of them aren't viable. They're built in languages that couldn't be built in tree, uh, you know, things like that. Um, looking at other components, I mean, the keyboard isn't even open source. Um, it was accidentally pushed uh, about a year ago uh, and then subsequently pulled and then pushed again. Uh, and we only got one tag for it that is multiple years old. Uh, and didn't build at the time of release. So uh, we had to uh, kind of go in and retailer that ourselves. Um, from the core component side settings and all of that is definitely open source. Um, and comically, uh, even the Google TV aspects, which I mean, you know, if you look at uh, Google's Chromecast with Google TV, you know, very little of it is open source. Uh, the settings application for Google TV, the new two panel overlayable settings application um, actually is. Uh, we were very surprised, you know, pleasantly surprised to see that. So uh, you'll actually see that in a uh, lineage 19 TV builds, which we're, uh, we're hoping to ship this cycle. Um, with that said, um, most of the core framework is the same as Android. So, you know, you don't have to worry about anything on that side. You can still install apps and everything like that, but they don't open source a lot of the niceties that make it a, you know, a nicer user experience on Android TV. So they don't necessarily expose the overall uh, Android TV dark mode that, you know, uh, apps, you know, tend to, you know, comply to. Whereas on mobile, they're going to look for the, uh, whether you're in light or dark mode. Um, so on Lineage OS, we've had to work around and build kind of, uh, uh, you know, alternative solutions to all of that. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have to do a lot of um, app development work and UI development just to get something that's actually like usable for a user on um, on an Android on a TV, which is, um, yeah, something that any business that wants to ship Android on a television-sized display will have to do because Google um, only allows you to, you know, ship Android TV with GMS and with all of their proprietary integrations. You can't get access to any of that if you just download um, AOSP source code. What's uh, very funny, um, they, that is entirely true, uh, and they have done one, uh, one very nice thing for us in the last few years. Um, you know, after some internal prodding, uh, they provided a pre-built application of the launcher that does not require GMS uh, and does not have the recommendations by default. And then they also offered a, kind of a stub, um, you know, just to make the launcher happy version of the recommendation service. Uh, I still don't really understand why they didn't release the source for it, but uh, you know it's better than nothing. And at the moment, Lineage OS includes that because it doesn't rely on Google services. So that, that was definitely nice to find. So while we're on that subject, I just wanted to um, clarify one thing for our listeners. Um, Third-party launcher apps, while they do exist for Android TV, 
devices um, because they're not integrated into the form firmware. They're not loaded as system applications. They're not able to interface with the package that provides content recommendations. So that those rows you see on TV where it shows like your last watch show on Netflix or um, other shows to recommend, none of that stuff will show up for you if you use a third-party launcher. Is that right, Nolan? Correct, yeah. And uh, that's why it was really nice to see the stub one from Google because we can use the uh, the open source live channels implementation and tie into that to kind of provide at least an accessible API for applications to do that. It uh, It's really hit and miss on whether it works uh, and we're not super sure why yet. Um, that's definitely a, a question to look into when we have more time in the future. But uh, we are working on a solution to it. It's just, it's sad that we don't have, you know, as widespread of access as say like Nexus and Pixel devices due to source. So I have a I have a question for you, Nolan. Um, kind of on this this gets into the business side a little bit, but when you when you look at, for example, like Widevine, obviously, I would say, would you agree that's the biggest technical blocker to implementing a true uh, open source Android uh, TV experience? So you're implying uh, no proprietary, you know, components whatsoever being the, uh, you know, oh, you're talking about like a, a truly open experience. Right. Um, something where content is just as freely accessible as it would be in the native Android TV experience. Yeah, from the content point of view, yeah, Widevine, uh, ClearKey are, are two of the biggest, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say offenders, but two of the biggest factors there. Um, additionally, uh, from the actual device support perspective, um, hardware-backed uh, codecs and things like that, you know, being able to decode, you know, 4K at, you know, a very high FPS, which, you know, I think we'll talk about variable FPS later, but um, all of that is kind of complex and closed source. So at the moment, you know, you could play a, you know, a high quality video on, you know, any of the lineage OS builds, but to do anything high frame rate or anything 4 or 8K, you know, you'd be looking towards those hardware-backed codecs. And unfortunately, they're closed source, and, you know, especially in the case of the Amlogic TVs, you know, like the uh, ADT3 and the Walmart OnBox and everything like that, um, we just can't seem to get it working because it uh, relies on some closed source component we can't get to work, which is, you know, always very sad, so... Yeah, and this this you know I wanted you to speak to that because I my question is really do you see especially 4K content which is obviously becoming the norm um, as like you know it's obviously there's the hardware codec limitation which I think we can understand that's a matter of the hardware evolving too but do you see that Google or other you know companies are using this technology as an artificial way to gatekeep basically the experience in some ways it definitely. Um, Widevine L1, the highest security level especially. Um, a lot of OEMs, both on the mobile and the Android TV side, when you unlock the device, wipe the L1 keys or at least make the service inaccessible, uh, You know, which means that you couldn't play that, that 4K, that high FPS video uh, you know, locally on the device after just unlocking it, not even modifying it, which is you know, really sad to see. And I think that segues perfectly into our, our next topic there, Michelle, that, that Nolan spoke about, which was the the native 4K UI and um, variable refresh. Um, so if we want to want to move in there, yeah, I'm sure um, a couple of months ago, many people saw that um, Google released or Google announced rather Android TV based on Android 12. And they made a build available for only a single device, the ADT3, which is the development platform for Android TV. So because of the fact that um, one, Android TV 12 
is not available for like 99.999% of users. And the fact that very few Android TV devices get major OS upgrades on in any sort of timely basis. Um, a lot of people are looking at the change log, which includes some pretty notable improvements, such as, as David mentioned, native 4K UI support. Um, and as Nolan mentioned earlier, refresh rate switching and are wondering, you know, when will I get these um, awesome features and are there any limitations to be aware of? So I had a question for you, Nolan, about those two features in particular. Um, can you tell us a bit about how they work? And, um, you know, will any device that gets upgraded to Android TV 12 be able to make use of them? Will any application be able to make use of them? Are there, like, are there any caveats we have to be aware of? Yeah, so unfortunately, it's a, it's a road full of potholes. Uh, so in, uh, in this specific situation, let's kind of separate out a little bit and talk about uh, 4K rendering. Um, any TV where the board supports uh, 4K as an output uh, with a simple switch flip from the vendor should be able to support 4K UI, uh, you know, again, so long as the device has the horsepower to handle it. And, you know, that ties into the GPU specs and everything like that. Um, the variable refresh uh, is dependent on a variety of things that becomes kind of an intertwined mess. Uh, the HDMI standard that's being used on the device, and I mean, we all know that's uh, if, you, if you're into the PC gaming side of things at all, that can be confusing. Um, it depends on the specs of the device, and then it also depends on the service that they use to actually push that. So it is natively supported, but the vendor has to, um, the, the switch is there. The vendor has to build the mechanism that allows the switch to actually be flipped. So each vendor at the moment is doing it slightly differently, and I can tell you, um, I haven't had enough time. I know NVIDIA's new, uh, new uh, it's the 11 update, but they included uh, some portions of that in that update. Uh, we haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but on the Android TV uh, 12 side of things, looking at the AAT3's images, from the open source side, we can get 4K rendering working just fine, but uh, 120 FPS is just, uh, I, I, I don't really see it happening. Um, the hardware back codecs are, are part of that because you can't actually play the content and you can't use that secure memory. Uh, you know, but additionally, it, it's just uh, kind of entirely dependent on the vendor and how well they implement the switch. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, I don't see that one coming to everyone anytime soon. The uh, Google ADT3 definitely supports, you know, the large majority of it. Uh, but the on box and the Dynalink box that, you know, two other most popular ones that come from Walmart. Uh, are either getting somewhat gimped solutions of it or, um, you know, just not seeing it at all, so. So I had a question that kind of follows up on this. Um, a question for you, Janko, in particular. What do you think of Google's yearly release cycle for Android TV? It seems like, based on what Nolan said, a lot of these features are dependent on, for example, the 4K UI requires a, a beefy GPU, or the refresh rate switching requires, you know, some support from the vendor. But it looks like, you know, most Android TV devices out there are kind of using rather old system on chips that are based on years old platforms. Um, they're sold for very little cost, or for they're for very little profit, my, to be more precise. So like, there's not much um, incentive for TV makers to actually support a lot of these features to push out updates. So um, why do you think Google? sticks to a yearly release cycle for Android TV? That, that is a very good question that you should probably ask Google. It, it almost seems like a little bit like a repetition of the mobile space, right? Where they keep pushing out new new releases every year. And, and the majority of phones 
never updates to to even the one from two years ago. Um, but but yeah, I think I mean part of that too is I would imagine that Google is trying to move the entire industry towards some new standards when it also comes to codecs uh, for for 4K and so forth. Um, so you might need to change some of the plumbing underneath to, to make all of that work with higher frame rates, uh, better video codecs and so forth. Um, but yeah, if it ends up to a situation where the majority of the hardware doesn't support it, then that leads to the same type of fragmentation or lags that you have in the mobile space eventually. And I mean, with televisions, the the problem is multiplied, right? Because people keep these devices for such a long time. So you may have a TV for 10 years. Now, obviously, the TV makers, they see this iterative opportunity here and they say, great, we can make people buy TVs more often. I don't know if that logic's going to work out for them, but I think that's the path they see. And I think on the tech side, though, Google also has to be cognizant of the fact that, like like we've discussed, this market cycles so slowly. Um, they need to get those improvements in there as early as they can, because if you're talking about potentially like a 4K UI support piece, maybe that product doesn't come out for a year and a half, but when somebody finally does buy it, they're going to keep it for a really long time. So Google is obviously fighting I would say on two fronts here, which is number one, the users who are saying, hey, stop adding things to the platform that not everybody can get. But you also have the manufacturers who are saying like, we have feature road mapping and you need to target onto it. I'm sure that 4K interface is on technical roadmaps everywhere, for example. I sure hope it is because it's, um, I actually didn't notice how blurry the uh, user interface is on my Shield TV until I actually saw the change log and mentioned, oh yeah, uh, I had no idea this was so blurry before because I wasn't even paying attention. Um, but uh, Jonko mentioned a great point earlier about um, codec support and you know Google's releasing new Android OS versions and trying to push the boundaries, trying to get OEMs and, and device makers to adopt new standards. Um, one of the codecs that Google's actually been trying to push on on streaming services and on chipset makers lately is AV1. And um, if you've been following uh, Jonko's writing for protocol, you, you may have noticed that this um, push is actually one of the big reasons behind Roku, um, you know, getting into a big fight with YouTube TV. And um, I'm actually curious to see, like, how much power does Google actually have on forcing you know the industry to go its way because um first of all this av1 debacle with roku roku is uh, one of the biggest players in the tv streaming space and then two there's also the um announcement that google made in um i think late 2020 when they said that google tv would be the future of android tv and that it would be shipping on all devices in the future but then in the recent interview um that jonko published on protocol it was kind of implied that they dropped that and it seems like operators will be able to continue to just ship plain Android TV as they wish for the foreseeable future. So like, I just wanted to know what you think, Jonko, like how much power do you think Google really has to, you know, shape the industry the way it wants? That, that's a really good question. I think they have significant power because they have both, they have the platform and then they have, uh, popular streaming services, particularly YouTube, is basically number two app on, on, on 
pretty much all the platforms. So they can even impose some of these standards on other platforms like Roku, right? But on the other hand, there are streaming services and especially Netflix has a lot of power too. And Netflix is also interested in, in uh, pushing towards new codecs because that helps them obviously as well. Uh, so I think Google is not the only one in there. And Roku may be a little bit of an exemption here, or exception here because they are so cost conscious. The devices are very cheap and they can't really subsidize them a whole lot or they're trying not to subsidize them. Um, so they are, there's a little bit of an exception here, but I think uh, Google is a big power, but they're not the only power. There's also, you can kind of talk about GMS and the you know device compatibility requirements. Um, Google's GMS for mobile has both options you can ship that are strictly APKs and uh, ones that include uh, the more modern Apex modules. The Android TV side is not so lucky. Uh, the Android TV side requires the partner modules to even boot up with Android TV GMS. And one of those is the uh, Google's uh, Codec 2 module that contains a lot of the uh, software codecs. So although Google can't really, I mean, they can clearly through the device requirements enforce AV1 and others on uh, device manufacturers in the future, I think the more likely route and, you know, the more business feasible route is just for them to push out really optimized software versions of that codec to band-aid the problem until the manufacturers are able to get, you know, hardware codec support built in for AV1. And I really do think they'll be doing that via those Apex modules here in the next few years. So that's an interesting point, and I wasn't aware that that was a was a route for for Google to add that software layer of compatibility. What about the Apex modules makes that more feasible? It's not that it makes it more feasible. It's that um, you know those can be autom you know applications can be automatically updated through the store, but there's some level of user interaction. Uh, I think a user is a little bit more likely to do uh, the system upgrade that pops up and says, you know, just quickly reboot and this will be applied, you know, because, you know, they, uh, you know, mainline updates are pretty seamless. Oh, right. And so Google basically also can have the manufacturer forego probably some of their TA process um, for some of these modules, I would assume. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. So that, that there's the business case. And I think that's a great example, Nolan, of at the end of the day, Google wants content on as many screens at as high a resolution as possible. So it's interesting to see that compete with the business side, which is that they want to start owning some of the real estate and how do they figure out that and then reconcile it against the fact that YouTube, you know, which is so important to them also has to be really everywhere and be everything to everyone. But uh, I think that we're starting to to veer ever so slightly, and uh, we do promise this is a half-hour show. Um, Jonko, um, Nolan, where can folks find you? Uh, well, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of my tech stuff on Twitter, uh, following Lineage OS as well. Um, I'm the one that writes most of the blog posts for Lineage, so if you're reading the blogs, you've probably read some of my work. Uh, and the Lineage Engineering blog, for sure. Uh, oh, and <laughs> should, should plug the day job. I work at uh, Direct Defense Consulting as a cybersecurity consultant. So you can check me out there, too. So, yeah, since you're here on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter as well. Um, I, my articles get published on protocol.com. And uh, on protocol, we recently also relaunched our newsletters a little bit. And we now have an entertainment and tech uh, newsletter that comes out three times a week, one day focusing more on gaming, one they focusing more on the stuff that I cover and then sort of a mishmash on the third day. Uh, so subscribe to that and you will get all, all the stuff, all the good stuff in your inbox. 
Yeah, and Jonko, I you know I don't think we've ever spoken before, but I've read your scoops for years, and uh, you know you're one of the great Google reporters. So thanks for coming on, and Nolan, as always, you know you came on an episode before. The technical knowledge on Android TV is so rare in the industry, so it's it's really great to have that insight. Um, this podcast, uh, Android Bytes, is powered by Esper, where Michelle and I work. Uh, if you are building an Android device, like an Android TV device, and you want to understand how can I turn this into a product with or without GMS? What can I change with it? Come to come talk to us. We can help you out. Um, we know a lot about Android TV and also all other versions of Android. Um, so that's esper.io for that website. Thanks for listening, everybody.